0: We're in the middle of this series called Ifs and Buts, small words but big lessons. And I'm getting ready to preach from a passage of scripture that everyone in here probably knows, right? And you've heard it quoted, you've probably seen it on the back of cars, you've probably uh, seen people put it on post-it notes, everywhere. But I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 8 and we're going to start in verse 31. And I want to tell you that this passage of scripture that we're about to read is one that... People throughout all of church history relied on during times in their life when they felt like everyone else wasn't for them, right? Like this is the anthem. If you did some research into, I got a book called, uh, oh man, I'm drawing a blank now, but it's a theology book written, written by a pastor who now pastors the church that Martin Luther King Jr. pastored. And he wrote a book on Christian theology. And um, he began to tell about how that through the civil rights movement that the, the, the black community in the church world literally would just, like this was their scripture that they said. Because there was a lot of people that weren't for them at that time. And they said, but, 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 but hang on, if God is for us. If God is for us. If God is for you, if God is for me, I'm here to tell you. Like there's such good news in this passage. I'm going to try to contain myself so we can walk through it a little bit um, with you all this this afternoon. But I am here to tell you that my job today, if God is willing and if God be faithful as He usually is, I am here to stir your affections towards Jesus. The most dangerous thing a Christian can do is lose affection for Jesus. Right. Is to lose the awe. For Jesus. It's dangerous for church people, Christian people, followers of Christ, to lose the awe and wonder of what Jesus has done and who He is. But we are very, very prone to losing the awe of who Jesus is. Like we just—it's just another day. It's just a, another thing. And ministry and church is just another thing we have to do. And I gotta show up, and I have to do this. No, honey, child, sweet thing that you are—you get to show up because of what Jesus did. You get to serve a people. You get to live in victory. You get to walk with your head high because of what Jesus did. You don't have to. You get to. So, so there's a man, before we get into the scriptures, there's a man by his name of Sinclair Ferguson. He was an Australian theologian. And he told the story of a, of a group of people that came in from the Czech Republic into America many, many years ago. And they were walking around and the first place they took these people when they got off the plane was to a supermarket. And anybody who knows supermarkets in America, they're just plumb full of everything. I mean, groceries galore, food everywhere. And these people from the check asked the guy, he said, um, sir, is is this place just for the American government? And the guy said, no, 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 no. This is This is just our little supermarket. Like anybody can go in here and get food. And they were like, Well, that's just crazy. You mean this is accessible to just everyday citizens? Like, this is just like you can just walk in and get what you want? He's like, yeah, absolutely. You see, some of us have forgotten just what is at your disposal and just how amazing it is that God has given you all of these things, that God has placed before you all of these many promises and blessings and words that you can live by. Like, you have forgotten the awe and the amazement of how it is that you have all of this stuff at your fingertips. But here I am today with the major job and the mission for me today is to stir up your affections for him. So Paul says this, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I'm going to read all of it and then we're going to come back. I ain't going to stop because it's just too good. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. Who? All. Who? Everyone. Who? All. I mean, if I don't care where you came from, what your background is, where you're going, how successful you are or how unsuccessful you are, how messed up you've been or how good you've been. It is for you. It is for you that he came. It is for you that he died. It's for your neighbor. It's for your coworker. It's for your boss that you don't like. The gospel is for all. That's what we're saying. St- right here. So that should get y'all excited that it's for you. Everybody gets a little bit. Of, it gets all of this. Don't get a little bit. Like God ain't like a God who's got just a, a little bit, a limited amount of stuff. That just like, you get a little pitch. You get a little bit. No, you get the whole loaf because I can reproduce a whole other loaf for her. Like, you know what I mean? Like God isn't limited. He can give you everything you need and still have enough to give you everything you need. Like it's just that amazing. So he says, it is for all. Listen to this. How will he not also with him. With Jesus, graciously give us all things. (laughs) Now listen, now we get to some questions that we're gonna answer here in just a minute. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. (laughs) I'm so glad it ain't me. I'm so glad it ain't you. I'm so glad it ain't this guy down the road that justifies, that makes a decision on whether I'm guilty or not or whether I've been saved or whether I have hope, I'm so glad that it ain't me or you because we are some fickle people. And one day we'd be like, yes, you can be free. Nope, uh, you've messed up, come back into the bondage. Like that's how it would be with us. But God says, no, 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 no. Once and for all, today, forever. When I establish it, it's done. It is finished. Let's look to the cross for a minute. It is finished. Now listen to this, verse 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that. Everybody say more than that. more than that. Oh, yeah. Who was raised? See, it isn't just that he died. How many knows that the death of Jesus isn't enough? Ooh. Now, some of y'all Christian people, y'all got hurt, didn't y'all? I've seen some people, I don't like that word. Let me know. If he'd have just been dead, it'd have done nothing. It'd have done absolutely nothing. If Jesus had just been killed on a cross, put in a tomb, and he still laid there today, there would be no church. There'd be no hope. There would be nothing. So Paul said, hey, he gave him over to be killed. But more than that, everybody thank God that it's more than that, that you're more than that. (laughs) Like, you've been restored. You've been redeemed. You're more than that. Like, you ain't just a person who was bad. You're more than that because more than that happened. More than that happened. I told y'all I was excited today. He said, but more than that, who was raised? And then he put a little another line in there because he's got a little more to add to it who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And then he changed his tone. I love it. He listed all of that. And then he's like, no. No, Like I can almost see as Paul's writing this stuff. Yeah, I'm setting them up. I'm setting them up. I'm listening to all the bad things. Listen to all them bad things. And yeah, they could let separate them if they wanted to. If they let it happen and they just give in to the world, it's going to separate them. But does it have to? What can separate? What shall separate? No, 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 not any of that. I don't care what you've been going through. That does not separate you from Jesus. Your lack, your loss does not separate you from Jesus. Nothing shall separate us. No. In all these things. In all these things. How many of sometimes you got to be in it? Sometimes you got to go in it. Right? You know, we talked about the first the first sermon we did on this series was about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Sometimes you got to be in the fire to see the salvation of the Lord at hand. Sometimes you got to be in it. So Paul said, look, I'm not trying to paint you a picture of a gospel that is rainbows and sunshine and gumdrops and all that good stuff. No, sometimes it's going to be in it that you see Jesus. Sometimes it's going to be in it. But know this, in all of these things, in all of these things, listen to this, you, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us who loved us. Listen to this. Then Paul finishes real strong. For I am sure. That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. God, right now, I pray that you continue to stir our affections towards you and the knowledge and the revelation that you are for us. You are for us. And if you be for us, who can be against us? God, let us leave here together with a greater view you, a higher view of you and understanding who you are and what you've called us to do. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So we come to verse 34 where Paul is trying to, he's getting ready to lay out this case. Anybody, anybody ever read the book of Romans? Right, read through the book of Romans? All right, it is, it is considered to be the jewel in the ring of the gospel. Like it is, it is an incredible book. And there's been many pastors who do series and always trying to walk through the book of Romans and it takes years to get through because it's just so rich in who God is and how we are to live and all of these things. And so, and so Paul gets here to the middle of the book in chapter eight and he starts off with the very familiar words that there are therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So he starts there in chapter 8 and then he moves on through and begins to tell us how that we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That we have been made the righteousness of God. We've been adopted by faith, right? And so when he gets to verse 31, he says, now what do we say to these things? And now I'm one to believe that it wasn't just chapter 8 that he was referring to. How many of y'all are okay with me giving you just a little bit of a Bible lesson? Like, I know maybe y'all ready to go to some preaching, but let me, can I just teach you a little bit? To understand the Word of God, you have to understand the context of the Word of God. So here Paul says, what do we say to all these things? And and I believe he's referring to the entire book of Romans so far, up until chapter 8. And this is what we know. Can I just give you a a little quick summary of all of Romans up until 8? I'm not going to be long, just like maybe one minute, maybe. Romans chapter 1, it starts off with this in verse 7. It says, now to all those who are loved by God. And are called to be his people. Do you realize that it is the love of God that he has for you that holds you in place? Not your love for him. Some of y'all think I just got to love God harder. I got to love God more. And while let me encourage you, please read this word because that's the only way you're going to love him more. Because that's how you see him more. You realize that, right? This is how you see who God is. And if you don't see who God is, you can't love him rightly. Right, And so, yes, continue to stir up the love for Jesus. That's awesome. But know this. It is not how good you love him that makes him move or live or be on your behalf. That's not how it works. How do I know that? Can I give you a little quick story? Anybody remember the man in the Bible named Lazarus? Right, he was dying. Dying. And his sisters were like, all right, we got one hope. Let's send a letter to Jesus. They didn't have email. They couldn't just push a button and send it to him. They had to send a runner. Had to write a note and send a runner. And hope to God it gets there. And there's by chance, if it does get there in time, we got to write something that we believe is going to move the heart of Jesus. Like if you were writing a letter, let me t- ask you a question. Think of the person you love the most in your life right now. And their life depended on the letter that you wrote. Would you not use like you would? You would write the thing that you was you believed would absolutely be the thing that gets their attention and turns their heart towards you, and sends the move back your way. Right? That's what we do. And so, what did the sisters write? What did the sisters write? They said, "Hey Jesus, um, Lazarus is dying," and they said this. You know, the one you loved. He, they did not say. Lazarus, the one who loves you. Why is that? Because it was never the love of humanity towards God that made God set in motion the plan of salvation. He did not look down and go, oh, wow, everyone loves me. They want me. Let's go. In fact, the world cried against Jesus and didn't want him. Put him on a cross, ran him through a mock trial. What hung him on the cross? What held him to the cross? It wasn't their love. It was his love for them. And so when we read this, we need to understand in chapter 1, Paul is trying to remind them, look, you are loved by God. And it is that reason that he has sent his son for you. Right? So verse, chapter 1, verse 7, it tells us that we are loved by God. And then one, two, and three, it begins to then lay out the whole picture of how that we are under judgment because we are sinful people. I love how he did that. Anybody ever been in management and they teach you how to deliver bad news? What do they tell you to do? It's called the sandwich method, right? Give them a good compliment. Look, man, I love how you, um, well, uh, what do I say here? Uh, You show up to work sometimes. That's good, right? Thank you for that, you know? Right? You give them the compliment, then you lay down the thing. All right, but hang on. Let me tell you, I need you to do this better. I need you to work this better. And then, to make them feel real good, you follow it back up with another compliment. Because humanity, (laughs) we are not good people. If you just straight up come to me and tell me where I'm missing it, you know what I'm going to do? Oh, this dude does not like authority. Can I just be honest with you all? My mom and dad will tell you. My wife will tell you. Like, don't come to me right off the bat when I first see you and tell me where I'm missing it. Tell me how nice I am. right? Tell me how pretty I am. All right? <laughs> then tell me where I need to get better. And then again, tell me how pretty I am. Like, that's all I need. That's all I need. Okay? And so that's what Paul did. Paul said, hey, look, man, you're loved by God. He loves you. Um, and, and just so you know how big that love is. <laughs> You don't deserve it. Isn't that real good? You know, I mean, could you imagine, you know, you're married, right? Your husband walks in, I love you. You don't deserve my love. Yeah. You know, I want you to know, okay, that if it was based on you, I might not love you as much. But you know, I'm a real good guy. I love you regardless of how mean you are sometimes. Like, that's not gonna go over well. It's just not gonna work in my house, okay? Amen? Y'all like that too? Okay? You know? So, so here's what he said. God loves you and let me tell you how big that love is. It's a love that you don't deserve because you are a horrible person. And we don't like to hear that. But can I just remind y'all, I don't care how long y'all been in church. Let's, let's do it. Can I do a little quick little survey? All right. I'm just going to jump to high numbers. Who's been in church for 20 years? Who's been in church for 30 years? Who's been in church for 40 years? Who's been in church for 50 years? Some of y'all are like, let me put my hand out. I don't want nobody to know how old I am. Y'all lying in church so no one knows your age. That's all right. We're going to pray for y'all after service, all right? Okay? So, so anyway, so we got some people that have been in the way for a long time. I didn't mean it like that, Dad. I, my dad always says, y'all need to get out of the way. That's not what I meant. I love y'all being in this way with me, all right? I'm, I'm Paul. I'm telling y'all, y'all, I love y'all, okay? But I don't care how long you've been in this thing. And how long you've been good, how long you've been Christian, even to this day, right now, you in and of yourself, without the blood of Jesus, don't deserve the love of God. Oh, all right. Again, let me say it one more time even if your blood bought Christ, by Christ and you've been in the way for a long time, without the blood of Jesus to this day, you do not deserve the love of God. And if the church can ever remember that and hold on to that and keep that and remind themselves of that, we'd be a lot better at loving people. We'd be a whole lot better at forgiving people. We'd be a whole lot better of helping people, encouraging people. But instead, somewhere along the years, we have established an idea that we have gotten to a place that we deserve the love, the blessings, and the mercy of God. Every day of my life, I need to wake up and say, God, I am so thankful for you waking me up again. I did not deserve to get up this morning. I blew it yesterday. I'm probably going to blow it today. So God, if you could but be patient with me, I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to keep. And he's like, look, son, I don't need you to love me better. I love you perfectly. We're good. I don't love you because you've been good long enough. I love you because I've loved you from beginning, before the world was formed, before I said, let there be light. I loved you before I started this whole thing in motion. I loved you. And I was for you from the beginning. Man, that's a long time, right? You got a defender that's been defending you before you were even born. So we were, we were rightly placed under the wrath of God because of our sin. But there's a pivot in chapter 3. I only said this was going to be like a minute, didn't I? And I'm still not even through the summary. Um, we're going to speed up, I promise. But then there's a, doubt it, but there's a pivot in chapter three. (laughs) Got to love an honest wife. (sighs) Sometimes. All the time. All right. There's a pivot in chapter three. There's a pivot, right? Starts off, I love you, and then you're really bad, right? You don't deserve the love of God, but hey, there's a reason why now you can have it. He says in verse uh, 21 through 25 in chapter 3, he says, Now there has been made manifest a righteousness outside of the law. Oh, that makes me so happy. Like, I, y'all may be thinking, Man, you just said a few words. No, no, you, you know, no, no, once you understand that the Bible says that the law brings death. So the Bible says, Now I need to have right, because in the beginning, understand, the law was the righteousness of God. You were made righteous by living according to the law. Right, But it could not keep you righteous. It could not keep you. It could not sustain you. Now there had to be a righteousness that was made manifest outside the law, beside the law. And in order to do that, the law had to become flesh. And the flesh was the man named Jesus. And because of what he did on the cross, now righteousness is available to all people. There's a pivot that happens. I love the pivot. It's my favorite thing. And then chapter 4. It teaches us about faith alone and Christ alone. In chapter 5, we're reconciled to God, and we have peace with God. Anybody need peace in your life? Anybody searching for peace in your life? Let me tell you something. You ain't going to find peace this way until you get peace this way. It has to go vertical before we get horizontal. Your job won't bring you peace. Your marriage won't bring you peace. Your kids will not bring you peace. It is impossible. Without peace already being in you, you cannot find it outside of you. Amen, Pastor. Then we get to chapter 6, 7, and 8. It begins to tell us that we are indwelt by the Spirit of God. We're adopted by God. We're dead to sin, alive in Christ, released from the law, heirs with Christ, no condemnation. And then Paul says, now that we have seen all of this summary, what do we say to all of this? Paul says, I got an idea. I got one phrase that will summarize it all for you. If God is for you, who can be against you? (laughs) If God is for you, who can be against you? And here's the thing that I want to get into real fast because then he asks four questions and we're going to run through these real fast. You need to understand that when he says who can be against you, it's not the fact that there won't be anybody against you. It is speaking to the success of them. Who can actually stand against you? They may oppose you, but there's coming a day they fallen. How do I know that? How do I know that? Goliath stood against the people of Israel. He stood against them. Oh, but he fell. Yeah. Jericho's wall stood against the children. What'd they do? They fell. <laughs> Babylon stood against the children of Israel. What happened to that great nation? it fell. Egypt and Pharaoh stood against the people of Israel. What happened to them? They fell. Anything who stands against the power and the authority of Jesus, they will stand for a moment, but they will be crushed because God is for his people. Amen. It's so good. If God is for us, who can be against us? There's a man named Philip McLathan. He was a reformer at the same time, was good friends with Martin Luther, and when it came time when he was about to pass away, he asked one of his buddies to read the Bible to him. You know, they didn't have TV, so they couldn't turn on TV, they couldn't mindlessly get away on their phones. So the guy said, "The way I want to go out is I want someone reading me the Bible." So a man sat next to him, began to read the Bible. And they recounted this, the guy who read the Bible to him recounted this, that when he got to Romans 8, chapter, chapter 8, verse 31, and he said, if God is for us, who can be against us? The man looked up, reached over and grabbed his hand. He said, read it again. He said, read it again. He said, okay, if God is for us, who could be against us? And he went to read On He said, no, stop. Read it again. And man, he had that man for the next day just read that verse over and over. He was dying. His body was riddled with sickness, but he went out saying, If God is for me, who could be against me? This temporal body may fall to the sickness, but if God is for me, this sickness cannot win. It may send my mortal bones to the ground, but all it does is release my soul to heaven. Because if to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ, it cannot win. So read it again. If God is for us, who could be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who can be against us? That's the first question that I ask. Who could be against us? Someone's going to come against you. Some of y'all have people in your mind right now who's come against you. Some of y'all could write a list longer than this piece of paper of people that have come against you. So it's not that those people won't come. But I'm here to tell you right now, they won't win. I need to say it again. They won't win. I don't care what they've said about you, it won't win. Their words cannot overthrow or thwart the plans of God in your life. I don't care what they've said. I don't care who they've got rallied against you. They may have a whole group of people who are just yep, 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 talking about you, saying all these things about you, trying to identify you as this and this and this. Let me tell you something. If God be for you, who can be against you? Those people, they are not the final, nor will they ever be the final word in your life. Who can be against us. And this is what he gives us as a reason as to why God is for us. How do we know God is for us? Verse 32 said, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. He begins to work from the greater to the lesser, right? You know, he's building his case, but he doesn't build it from, you know, the lesser to the greater, like in a, in a scale. He, he builds it backwards because he wants you to start there. We have to start there. Let me tell you something, you have to start at the cross. You can't start anywhere else. You can't have Jesus for you if you haven't went through the cross. Right. Jesus is not for you if you haven't went through the blood. And see, here's the thing. Can I graciously and humbly attack a cultural ideology that's running rampant in this world? That God is for everyone. I'm going to be very careful here, all right? because I want you to understand something for me. God loves everyone. But God is for his people. Yes. Can, can I say that again? Because you need to understand. And, and you need to understand why. Right? Just because, yes, God loves everyone and has sent the invitation to all. We just read that, right? It's for all. But him being for him is reserved for those who are bought by him. That have been bought by the blood of him. They are who God is for. Now, you can very easily become one of those who God is for you. You just got to accept him. There is a requirement there. I don't want to preach a very cheap gospel. I'm not here to preach cheap grace. Cheap grace is how the world's gotten in its mess. God loves you the way you are. That's true. But he loves you more than that. He loves you enough to change you. You know what I mean? I love my kids just as they are, but I'm here to tell you what, I'm going to teach them how to do right, and they need to listen and understand and do it and follow it, or else they're going to be in a world of hurt. My love for them is it's not, it's not measured on how I just let them do whatever. Love is a two-sided coin, grace and truth, and that truth sometimes is very hard to receive. I was young, I didn't like it. I'm old, I don't like it. The Bible says whom he loves, he also chastens, corrects, disciplines, right? It doesn't say them who he loves, he lets them stay the way they are. No, it's not the way it works. And so Paul says, how do I know he's for us? Because he didn't even spare his own son. Right? He begins to point us to the bigger picture and says, if God did that, will he not also give you all these things? I want to give you an analogy. I've never been to Disney World. I want to go one day. I want to go to Universal. I want to see all those cool things. I think I do. And then I go to Dollywood, which is a really small version of all those places, and I leave very angry. Okay? So maybe I don't. Maybe I just, the idea of it, you know? Maybe I just want to take my picture in front of the big golf ball. Maybe that's all it is. I don't know. That's what it is, right? It's a big golf ball, right? No, it's not? I don't know what it is. looks like a big golf ball, okay? Don't judge me because I'm not Disney, you know, knowledgeable okay it looks like a big golf ball and I kind of want to go stand in front of it and maybe put my hand like this you know and then you take a picture and it looks like I'm holding it up you know keep it from rolling no y'all don't do that I do it all the time but if well <laughs> let's just say let's just say I bit the bullet and said hey I'm taking the whole family to Disney I bought all the tickets I bought all the, the airfare to get there paid for the hotel Paid for the meal, you know, you get meal packages, too, if you want to really go all out. You can, like, buy it and get all that cool stuff. Spend five, $6,000 easy, I bet. I'm just guessing. I didn't research it. Totally just guessing. That close? Yeah, close? Okay. All right. Then I do all of that. We get the kids in the car or in the plane. We get down there. We rent the car. We go to the, we go to the theme park. We're driving up, and we see a sign that says parking, $15. And I look at my wife and I said, all right, that's it. I'm drawing the line right there. We've paid all this money up until now. I refuse to pay $15 to park. We're going back to the hotel. We'll leave out tomorrow. I'm canceling the trip because of $15. Would that happen? No. I'd look over at them and be like, give me $15. Bucks. We've made it this far. Let's just keep going. All right. I'm already going to have to mortgage the house, anyways. So let's just go ahead and give them the parking, okay? Like, it's already happened. And so, and so he, Paul is painting the picture that if he would have, if he gave his son, Will he not also sustain you? Like like all of these things that you're asking God for and you're thinking, well, maybe God's not going to do it or, or maybe this isn't going to work or maybe God's not in my life moving the way he is in other people's life. And the whole time, all you need to do is look back 2,000 years to a hill called Calvary, and say, oh, my Lord, if he went through all of that, if he sent his son and did all of that, how much more will he now give me the things that I need to do what he's called me to do? Paul says, let's look through the cross, not around it. If I could look through the cross, then when I look through the cross and see things, I'm going to see it in a different light. I mean, like, yes, look, I got 35 cents in my bank account, and we don't have groceries in the house. But if God saved me, if he already did the big work, which is taking me from a dead person in my sin to a live person in Jesus Christ, put my name in the Lamb's book, if he did that, groceries are nothing for him. we gotta, we got to see this thing for what it is. How much more would we not keep going? But who can stand against us? No one can successfully stand. Then we get to the second who. Who can bring any charge against God's elect? Who can accuse us of things? You know the Bible says that the enemy of our soul is the accuser of the brethren? And this is legal, legal jargon, Right? Like a, like a lawsuit case, you know, being heard in court. Who could bring a charge against you? Who could say, I am levying this charge against you? Man, there's many people in this room right now who could levy a charge against me. Because I've messed up in a lot of people's lives. I've, I've done more people wrong than I can count. So they have, I mean, as far as in humanity, they have every right to charge me with something. He's a liar. He didn't do this. He said he'd do this. He didn't do this. He showed up here and did all, like a a lot of those things. that They could levy charges, but they don't stick. They don't stick anymore, Randall. They don't stick anymore. You You can levy any charge you want against me, but I know that God's for me. And what he did for me removed every bit of shame and guilt that was ever attached to me. Now, I have to walk in that. Anybody have trouble walking in that every day? Because you know yourself better than anybody. So how many knows you're very quick to be the one who accuses yourself? You know, you're really good at accusing yourself of things. But what accusation is going to stick? There isn't one. Because the Bible says in this verse, it says that Jesus is the one who justifies. You don't justify yourself. I don't care how many church services you've been to, how many events you've showed up and worked, how many scriptures you can quote, it does not justify you. It doesn't. There's but one thing that justifies you. That is your faith in Him and His blood over your life. That's it. That is it. That's what makes it so amazing for all of us is that we all have the same door to walk through. I don't get a side door into the presence of God because I'm a pastor. I have to humble myself underneath the blood of Christ and walk through it every day. There isn't no one in this room who has a different little access path into the presence of God. The Bible has leveled, the Lord has leveled the whole playing field and said, you all have but one door to enter. And if you come through that door, you are justified. You are now underneath my protection. Because of what I've done. So who can bring a charge? I want to read to you the words from an an old hymn. It says, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because a sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. Come on, that's good news, guys. That's good news, man. That the wrath of God has been satisfied to the point that He'll look on His Son and pardon me. Man, how... how I mean, is it not exciting to you that you have been forgiven? You have been pardoned? You are no longer a slave to sin anymore? Like... That's what I'm talking, see, here's what I'm talking about. Church, please, please, please listen and look at me real fast. This is what I'm talking about. I could go up to you today, right now, I know people who have posted on Facebook, and I could tell you today, and I could come up to you after church and say, man, you remember that win over Alabama? And all y'all Tennessee fans be like, oh my gosh, yes I do! I spent time re-watching it last week, it was amazing! I had people posting on Facebook a week later! Saying, oh, it was so good to be a Tennessee ball, Mm. And right now, it may be. But can I tell you something? Do you remember the day God got a hold of you? no, you don't. No, you don't. No, you don't. Because all y'all are like, yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah, it was all right. No, let me ask you a question. Oh, how many times you go back and rewatch that in your mind? How many times you go back and say, man, I was at a place where I didn't deserve it. I couldn't reach for him if I tried. I didn't have hands that could have went high enough. words that could have bought the thing I didn't have money to pay for but God showed up and he took my life and he changed me around set my feet on the solid ground gave me a new song put a pep in my step i remember that day and it will never lose its power there's about five people in here who remember what God did for them I'm shaking because I remember about three years ago I laid face down in my laundry room bawling and weeping asking God, could you please fix my mess? No reason for him to. Because I didn't love him well for the past year before that. But he said, son, it was never your love for me. I didn't send my son for you because I knew you'd love me perfectly. Man, it's because I love you. And you don't even understand the depth of that. You have no clue of just how much I love you. Just how much that I love you. That I would give, I did give everything for you. I ransomed heaven. For you. I am for you, son. Get up. Get up and walk. Get up and find the hope you used to have. And know that I am always for you. Who can bring a charge against me? Nobody. Nobody. Verse thirty-four. Who is to condemn? Who can condemn? Joshua, you can come, man. We're about to. We're gonna speed up and and get through this. Who can condemn? I got a passage. I want to read you from First John. First John chapter three. Here we go. First John chapter three, verse twenty says this: Who Who can condemn us? (sighs) Verse 19, I'm going to back up. It says this. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. Listen to this. Verse 20. For whenever our heart condemns us, for whenever our heart condemns us, Right? Your own heart is the one who often speaks condemnation to you. Look, some of us, and let me tell you something, I I absolutely believe in attacks from the enemy, demonic attacks. I, I believe in all of that. But I often have come to know that the loudest, most damaging voice in your life is yours. It's yours. You see, Christ did not come to save us just from the world. He came to save us from ourselves because we are by nature the world. He said, he said even whenever, whenever, I love that word, whenever. It's like he knew there's going to be many, many times in my life that my heart is going to come up inside of me and condemn me. He says this. This is so good. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. God is greater than your heart. It's so good. And He knows everything. I love that. I love that, Mike, because in that, that's like, okay. If God tells me my heart's going to condemn me, but He's going to forgive me, it's awesome to know that He already knows everything that I've done. He knows every thought you've had. He knows everything you've said. He knows everything. And he is still saying, I got forgiveness for you. I'm calling you to be greater. I'm calling you out. I'm calling you to be for me because I'm for you. I need you to step into newness. I need you to step into newness. Listen to this, how he how he tells us this. I love this passage. I'm going to finish up. He says, who can condemn us? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And here's where we're going to land today. <laughs> Robert Murray McChaney. He was an incredible minister. He said this phrase, he said, if I heard Jesus praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Then he said this, yet the distance makes no difference. He is praying for you. Do you know what's amazing? Is that we have... Jesus Christ the righteous who not only died for our sin was buried rose from the dead now he's taken it another step further and said I'm going to go up here and I'm going to be praying for you I'm going to be praying for you let me ask you a question like Robert Murray McCheney said if you literally could hear Jesus Christ himself praying for you how confident would you be in your life Some of us get excited when we have a friend pray for us. I love it when my my kids pray for me. Man, it it blesses my heart when my my kids come up and pray for me. Right? I love when my dad prays for me. I don't know if y'all have a dad who can pray really amazingly. Right? Uh, If you don't, um, holler at that guy. He will pray for you, and it's amazing. Right? I can just sit and listen to him pray. I love it. I absolutely love it. But you know what? You know what's even more incredible? Is knowing that the Savior of the world is praying for me. He's praying for me. He isn't just telling me what to do. He's praying for me. You got a ministry call on your life? God's praying for you to be able to fulfill it. He is praying for you right now. Let me tell you All the struggles in your life, God is praying for you. God is praying for you. And if God is praying for you, if God is for you, then who can be against you? But Danny, you don't understand. I am am so overwhelmed right now. Okay? Can I dare to venture and say something? You've lost perspective of God. You have. If you're at a place now to where all you see is the overwhelming things you're facing, then obviously you're not looking at the right thing. How about we stop looking at the thing that's overwhelming us and the Bible says to cast your, fix your eyes on him. Why? Well because if I stay looking at a problem too long I'll convince myself that that's all my life is. It's just a big problem. I'm never gonna get right. My family's never gonna be whole. My marriage isn't ever going to make it. You know what? Can I just give some people in here some advice? Just just some off-the-cuff advice. I'm not saying it's in here, but I do feel like the Lord's kind of part of this. Stop trying to litigate and argue everything in your life with your spouse. You don't have to talk about all the drama all the time. Why don't you find something that both of y'all like to do and go do it? Right, move past it. Just go do something. Just go, just go, just go talk about good things and God things. And why don't you look at your wife and say, honey, let me tell you something. I was praying for you the other day, and God told me to tell you He loves you and God is for you. He has a plan for you. I'm covering you in prayer. Like, honey, I got you. Why don't you look? You can do this thing. I know you're overwhelmed. The kids are crazy, but I'm gonna jump in right here and do what I can. But let me tell you something. More than me got you, God's got you, because if God gave Jesus, it's so that He could get you. You know, it's it's really simple. We like to make it super hard, don't we? It's really simple. If I spend time with my wife, and all we talk about is all the things we need to do, gotta do, didn't do, should have done. My Lord, at some point I'm gonna stop talking to her. But you know what's amazing? <laughs> It amazing. I told her this the other day. It was just yesterday. I us talk about how God's kind of, re, kind of doing some things in our marriage. Just, just simple things. Just in communication. Anybody have communication trouble with your spouse? Y'all just scared to raise your hand right now because you're like, I ain't saying it in front of nobody. I'll be honest with you. 15 years of nothing but communication issues. I'm not easy to talk to. Let's be honest with y'all. Y'all may think I'm approachable, but I'm not easy to talk to. Okay. Yeah, halftime I'm deaf apparently. I didn't even know that. And so, so communication, communication is hard. But what I'm, what I'm, what I'm saying is, is it's awful simple. It's awful simple when we boil it down. Love them. Speak life over them. Because you know who's doing that for you right now? Right now up in heaven. He's looking at his father going, hey, they're good, ain't they? Let me tell you, hey, Father, let me tell you something. They are going to do some great things. That little church down there, they're going to change King they're going to do it. That marriage down there, God, oh, it's going to be fine. Man, how he's going to start talking to them, and then things are going to be great. They are wonderful. I have chosen them. Father, you give them to me, and you put them in my hand. And those you gave to my hand shall not be able to come. I ain't losing one of them. God, I got them. They my people. Come on. Let's, I'm telling you, God is speaking over you this morning. John said it this morning. Why does it matter that God is speaking over you? Because what the king says is law. What's law? For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God.